So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see a five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to On the Cusp. This week, my guest is Robert Stevens. He's one-third of the three-person comedy group Hamilton 100, along with me and Mary Sasson. He is the co-host of the web series The State of Us, and he is an actor on one of UCBLA's newest sketch teams, which is so new, it doesn't even have a name yet. A quick reminder that On the Cusp can now be found on Stitcher and iTunes, and we'd really appreciate if you'd consider reviewing or subscribing to the show. Only do it if it sounds fun, but if you do do it, it will mean a lot to me. This episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Thai Pepper is home to the best Thai iced tea in all of Los Angeles, sold at a price you won't believe. But be careful, it'll be hard to have just one. Thai Pepper, the restaurant that will put a pep in your step and a pepper in your stepper. It's Thai Pepper. So I've known Robert Stevens for about nine years and he's one of my closest friends. And one of the really cool things about his episode of On the Cusp is that though he just recorded it two months ago in December of 2014, his life has kind of changed a crazy amount uh, in just the last couple of weeks. There's a point in this episode where I ask Robert, what do you hope your life looks like one year from now in December 2015? And he says a couple of things. He says he hopes that he somehow has some kind of opportunity to be performing more at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and that he has some kind of job that has more flexibility. So it feels a little bit crazy that just three days ago, uh, Robert got on his first uh, house team at UCB, uh, one of the theater's mod teams, uh, which he's crazy excited about and I'm really excited about for him. Um, and he got hired at a really cool new job uh, at a company called Edmonds that will hopefully give him more flexibility. I love seeing that happen because Robert has worked so tirelessly out here in LA to try to give a running chance for his dreams. And I've seen times in his life out here that he's really had to struggle uh, to keep things going. He's done such a good job of just hanging in there and I feel like he's a guy who really deserves to have good things happen for him. Um, and more than that, a guy who I think uh, is talented enough to have amazing things happen to him. There was a time when I was in college that a bunch of really cool comedians, people like Wyatt Cenac and Maria Bamford, came to give us a talk about uh, how they had gotten to be successful in comedy. And the big theme of the speech was that all of them had given it at least 10 years. Um, and along the course of those 10 years, there was just a lot of failure uh, and hard times uh, and moments of being beaten down. But the big point they were making was, unless you give it 10 years, you don't really know if it's going to happen or not. Because usually it takes at least 10 years. And I think Robert Stevens is a person who's doing a really good job giving it his 10 years. 
believing in himself enough to say this is worth a shot. And I'm just excited to see where Robert is when his 10 years are up. I don't know that he'll have made it at that point, but I think he's going to be in an exciting place. So anyway, without any further ado, here is my interview with a guy who's funny in a way that nobody else I know is, Robert Stevens. From yesterday, so I get wet standing in their shade. Something's wrong with my depth perception, so I walk in place till I reach a destination. you a hypothetical question. Okay. If you could uh, be given today a check for $10 million or get uh, to become a reoccurring character on uh, a new NBC sitcom, mm-hmm. which would you take? Like the sitcom's going to be going on for a while? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can only tell you that here's either $10 million or one season of this NBC sitcom. And you know the climate right now. Things are getting mm-hmm. canceled all the time. <laughs> I, I have an answer. Okay. So I would probably still, I would take the sitcom. Now, am I a, like a main character in it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I would do that. Uh, I, want the, I want the credit and I want to get a little traction. I need to get I need to get into people's you know like I need to be in their minds. I can't just be some low level actor with a lot of money. Do you know that ten million dollars is like ten times a million? Uh-huh. You're trying to sell me on the money? <laughs> I'm just saying how many sitcoms could you probably produce with that? Yeah, but I want a career. <laughs> I believe that I could make a lot of money, maybe not that much money, if I put my mind to some job and like worked hard. I think I could live great, but that's not what I really want. I want to, I really want to be doing this and be successful at it and, you know, get to do it as my career. All right, follow up question. Uh, you find out that, uh, you have a curse put on you mm-hmm. that no matter how big of a celebrity you get to be, how, how much success you have exactly in the field that you want to do, uh, you're never going to get paid more than $10 an hour <laughs> for any job for the rest of your life. You stay an actor in that situation? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Because then it takes away the one incentive of being not an actor. You're getting, no matter what, you're getting the same amount of money, right? Oh, no, you can make more money in other jobs. Oh, you can. You're saying that I get a limited amount of money. Yeah, like any other, like, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No matter what <laughs> height you reach as an actor, uh-huh. you're never going to make more than $10 an hour as an actor. What if I do, like, sponsorships? Sponsorships are different. <laughs> <laughs> then sponsorships I would be an actor. Because okay, <laughs> <laughs> I would be a lot of sponsorships. Uh, I'd have no filter. I'd have no... <laughs> level of like are there any things you're especially excited to sponsor i would like to sponsor like 
some kind of hotel, like some some hospitality place where like by sponsoring them, I could stay with them for free whenever, you know? That's or a, like that's an a airline good deal. or something where like it would really benefit me to have like to be in with them because then I'd get a lot of good benefits. You think that when you book a Hotels.com commercial, you also get to stay in any Hotels.com? <laughs> you know Hotels.com doesn't own every single hotel, right? Not every single hotel, but most of them. <laughs> yeah. Right? I would love... Uh, that Hotels.com commercial, though, the guy who's currently the spokesman You think he's it, pretty good? I think he's the worst. <laughs> I think he looks like some guy they found at Redondo Beach <laughs> who, like, was... Maybe he did, like, an episode of Melrose Place. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like... He's good looking. Like there was like a forty-five-year-old woman who was casting it, and she was like, "He's hot, <laughs> and he's so cool." You think you could sell hotels better than him? I know I could. <laughs> I know I could, and I'm not saying I'm the best. I just would bring a little more youth to it. Very cool. A little more freshness. Um, you were born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you were their third kid. So my dad had two children before me. Actually, so he was married and had two two uh, girls. And then he married my mom and had my sister, my older sister, and then me. So he has a total of four kids and um, three daughters. And uh, when I was born, he had had three daughters and he really wanted a boy. And I remember them talking about how when they found out that it was a boy when I was delivered, I don't think they knew actually beforehand. He like ran down the hall and he was like, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. <laughs> That's he really, was really nice. happy to finally have a boy after three girls. <laughs> How'd your parents meet? So my dad was a lawyer in Charlotte and uh, my mom was a teacher. And they'd both been in marriages that ended pretty quickly. And I think they ran into each other at like a like a Halloween party. Well, actually, I don't know exactly where they met, but, like, my mom found this, like, young, good-looking lawyer from the area who was really nice, and then my dad found this, like, fun, cute, like, teacher in Charlotte, and they just, like, they just kind of thought each other were, like, a good match, and they like started dating that sounds really nice yeah did, did your dad look like you when he yes was? totally he looks exactly like me wow, i know weird. exactly what i'll look like when i'm older oh good he's like yeah it's weird how close we look like each other uh and he's handsome i'd say <laughs> that's good he's got the same kind of goofy like it's not like the clear cut jawlines, the strong features, but it's like that. It's like a lovable look, you know. Like Michael Sarah. Okay. <laughs> no, Michael Sarah is not. He's lovable, but he's not cute. He's not cute. I mean, in like a funny way. Oh, I thought he was cute. <laughs> uh... <laughs> he's cute. He's cute, but he's not someone I would say is uh, attractive. <laughs> Could you list, please, the ten hottest mm-hmm. boys in your opinion? Sure. <laughs> Just kidding. In my opinion. Just <laughs> uh, uh, so, 
you, were you your mom's first kid? No. So my mom no. had my sister and uh, then had me. Got it. So then are you, your mom and dad's only child yes, together? exactly. I think no, I no, 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 no. Okay, because so, you, you have a younger sister. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. No, I this, do not have a younger wait. sister. Oh. I have three sisters, all older. Okay? Two of them are half-sisters from my dad's first marriage. Then my dad and mom married and had my sister, my blood, full sister, that's what I call her, <laughs> and then me. So we're a family unit Got of it. four and then I have two half-sisters from my dad's first marriage. My mom didn't have any kids until she had my full-blood sister and me. I think I kind of get it for the first time. Okay. And um, you, have nine, you have nine sisters and nine children. <laughs> and all of my sisters take care of my children. <laughs> yes, yeah. And all of my children give my sisters reason to live. Because <laughs> they <laughs> have inclinations towards depression. Right, yeah. It all makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Pretty normal. Everybody's got a weird family. I have one sister named Sandy. I have yes. eight sisters who are all named Mary Beth. <laughs> uh, all spelled the same? No. Okay. <laughs> Different numbers of E. <laughs> a lot of E in every one of their names. Yeah, I believe it. I believe you'd come from something as crazy like that. <laughs> from one to a hundred E's. <laughs> My sister, who has a hundred E's in her name, yeah. is the most well acclimated. <laughs> Which is weird. You would think it would be. It's the most screwed up. Yes, it's M A R Y B E E E E E E E. About fifty more E's. E E T H. Green, like the color with an E at the end. How well? Do you think you remember your childhood? I remember flashes. Kind of like an elephant. I have my memories like... Elephants remember, never forget. You're right. But don't they remember <laughs> big things? They, they don't remember Maybe. everything. That'd be crazy. They'd be like camcorders. <laughs> I remember like little bits of my childhood very clearly. And one of them is like me running around the house naked outside the house when it rained. I would, like, run around as a toddler, <clears throat> just sprinting around. And another memory of mine is when I was going up to my grandmother's house for Christmas, Christmas Eve. We are going for one night, and my mom was like, okay, so you're going to pack your own, pack your own bag. And I was like, okay, great. And I think I was, like, seven or eight. And I, like, packed every single item of clothing and shoes and everything I owned, I packed into, like, suitcases. As if you were planning to move to her house? Yeah. Not that I wasn't doing that, I just wanted to, I was, I was packing, I was like, I don't know, I might, like, I don't know, I might get caught in the rain or something, I want to, like, I need to change into this, or, like, I want to have options if I want to change after dinner, I can go and, like, put on a new thing. And that was really my thought process. I just packed everything, because I wanted to have those options. Do you think there's anything to that anecdote that like resonates to who you are today? Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to, I constantly am thinking about anything that could happen. Like when I'm going out, if I'm going somewhere, like I will take a backpack cause I like have things cause I hate being without something that I need that I knew I could have brought. 
and I'm just, I think in general, I'm a little more of a worried person. Like I'm, I, I worry about things that would never happen. Like, I don't, not like natural disasters, but just like random things that could pop up where I'd need to have, a, like <laughs> my glasses with me, my reading glasses, which I don't use all the time, but I need them sometimes if I need to like read like scripts or just like need to be able to like see. Do you overpack when you travel? No, I don't. I don't. I think I fight the urge. I know that I want to overpack. And I, I know now that like, I don't need all of these contingency plans. I don't need to like have four sweaters in case I'm end up at a fancy dinner. You know, I just, I, I bring very basic stuff. And then if I need something, I'll just get it there. Um, what were your feelings on school when you started going there? Like, like early school. Yeah. Um, I, I remember liking it. I, I remember liking school, but ever since I can remember going to school, my mom was always like around the school. She was very involved. And, um, I remember being kind of embarrassed by that where like, I liked it for a little while when I was a little kid. And then once I got into like fifth grade, I started being like worried about how I, like if I was cool and like I liked girls and I got embarrassed about things. And I remember one time she, she was just really involved with the school and she, we lived close by. So she would be there a lot. She was friends with all the teachers and like she dressed up as Clifford, the big red dog to like, we had a TV like announcements in the morning and she like, I was the announcer and she was like Clifford the big red dog and she was on screen and then she took off her helmet and like, it was my mom and she was surprising me and I was like, don't do that. Don't, like I, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be seen as like a little kid. And of Clifford the big red of dog. Clifford the big red dog, yeah. And then like one time in music, band class we were like going through sex ed like it was called Phlebas which is just like I don't know what that stands for but it's general like health and kind of an introduction to sex ed and she was walking by the classroom and she like came in and she was like what's going on like what are you what are you guys learning and the jazz teacher Mr. Hill who was like cool black guy he was great he was like well we're learning like like Phlebas we're going through this stuff and she was like she I don't know how it started but she started singing the blues he he was accompanying her and she started singing the blues about sex ed and I remember just wanting to die because I like there's nothing I could do she was just singing the blues to my class as we were learning about sex ed and uh I don't even remember what people thought. They were like, they would laugh and look back at me and go, <laughs> It does sound cartoonishly mortifying. It does. It does. Was your mom a really cool mom to have in other contexts? She was. She's the best. She was, she was always just so, like, supportive. And even though I didn't want her to sing the blues about sex ed, I was like, I loved how she would help me, like, if I needed a Halloween costume the night before. Obviously, as any mother do would she'd like help me put together a costume she was just always there to like support me and what I was like wanting to do and like needed and 
she was just very creative and like incredibly like supportive. So she was awesome to have that. But I just didn't want to see her all the time at my school because I was worried about like being cool. You've done a lot of uh, comedy in the last few years with a guy named Alex Whittington. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say he was a big part of uh, like your life as a like five year old through ten year old? Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of like playing around together, a lot of like creative, just going out in the neighborhood. We lived in, on the same street, and we would just like just dick around like little kids, and we would just have like we would just explore and play around and like do bits one of our first like bits we did was bits is like bits yeah like where we we wanted to like get a rise out of people and we lived in a really like suburban quiet neighborhood and we'd go up to like the main road at night and we would just start fighting each other on this grass right on the sidewalk and we would just start fighting at like 9 p.m on a friday night and like a car would come by every like a minute and a half and um we just wanted to see what people would do. And one time a car, two women stopped and they're like, is everything okay? And we just stopped fighting and just ran off because we didn't, we didn't know what to do after that. <laughs> you were yeah. learning how to be on punk. We were learning, yeah. We were not quite there yet. We knew it was funny. We didn't know how it was funny. <laughs> and in your head, you were like two grown men fighting on the side of the yeah, road? Yeah, yeah. Not like, people, like two yeah. little cute kids? Right, yeah. People were, would be shocked that like there was this brawl going on. <laughs> really, it was just, yeah, two little you didn't, But you didn't like him the first time you met him, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. In preschool. Like, I was in preschool. And he was this... Which is, first of all, that's crazy that you yeah, met like met a guy who's sort of your comedy partner now mm-hmm. in preschool. Yeah. Yeah, he he was a he's a a loose cannon. He's always been a wild kid. As a preschool, I don't know was. where that came from. Yes, and I knew that in preschool. I saw him, and he like was the kid. He was trying. He had this huge stuffed animal dog, and he would put it under his shirt because he would try to sneak it out on the playground at recess. And you weren't allowed to take any toys out because it was gonna get dirty. And he would stuff this huge English sheepdog <laughs> under his. Like, he's a three-year-old, whatever, how old you are in preschool. And it would just be sticking out of every single, like, possible place, and he would try and, like, calmly get out. And I saw him, and I was like, this kid is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) This kid is reckless. He's wild. And he wanted to be my friend. And I went home one day, and my mom told me, she she says, like, did you meet any friends? And I was like, yeah, there's this one kid named Alex who wants to be my friend, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to be his friend. And then like, you've been saying that for I know, 25 years. I know. I know. <laughs> and and we, he slowly wore me down and then we've been, you know, best friends ever since. <laughs> um, when did you start thinking that theater was the thing you wanted to do at all? I got into it when I was like in middle school. There was a great community theater right down the street from where I grew up. But you sound like you were also like a sporty kid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played a lot of sports, soccer, baseball. So what made you also go like, yes, at acting? I don't know. I think no one, my mom was, she, she dabbled a little bit 
in theater, but she never really got into that. I think it was mainly like Alex and I started, we took like a summer camp class there where we like got to do some like Shakespeare or something. And then I think in middle school, the, the school that I went to was a performing arts school. Oh, that it was. was probably the biggest part. Where did performing arts fit in in the day? It was like, um, so you would just, you had to take like dance, chorus, or theater. And um, so everybody was like in one of those like kind of cores. And they you chose which one you wanted to do. And the school that I went to, Piedmont Open Middle, was like had a really edgy, like progressive theater, like drama program. And so that was like the cool thing to do. If you were, it wasn't like about sports. It was like, that was the cool thing to do at that school. And uh, like girls thought that was cool. Yeah, girls thought that was cool. Like all the hot girls were in drama and all the cool kids were, were doing that. So it was like, that was the cool thing to do. What a weird little microcosm world where yeah, in this world, theater is the cool <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like and soccer's for nerds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was still, um, there wasn't like a huge divide, like, there was still sports at that school, but drama was like the cool thing. And looking back on it, it was actually like a little too risque. Like, we were in middle school and we were doing Richard III, where like people, like sixth graders are in fishnet stockings, like strangling each other. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. my sister, my older You're going to get some teachers fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Retroactive. Well, one guy, he's our, the drama teacher there. He, he's like, I saw him. He was my waiter at the melting pot years, years later. And he would gotten fired because he like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to slander or say anything because I don't know, but he, he got fired for something inappropriate. Something along the lines of putting sixth graders yes. in fishnet stockings. Yes. Yeah. And having them strangle each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the time, you thought that was, like, the coolest thing. You were in it, and you were like, man, this is awesome. What were the other shows you were doing in middle school? We did um, this show called Dark of the Moon, and it was about... It, it had, like, a girl got raped in it, and... <laughs> this is insane. Yes. Th- this is yes. real... Like, like, and they... Middle school, it's supposed to be Susical the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be, yeah, exactly. No. This was not... This was, like, serious theater for sixth graders. And we, yeah, that one, I remember being in that and I was called, I was John the witch boy in that. And I was like the lead guy and I would, I wore a wife beater and I like loved this girl and then she got raped and then I like killed somebody to like, it was insane. Were you thinking then, like this is what you want to do for the rest of your life? Kind of, yeah. And any sense of like comedy too or more just like, I want to be on a stage. Not comedy yet. I hadn't developed that. I just knew I wanted to act. And uh, I had fun, like, playing different characters. Were you doing any kind of, like, child acting on a professional level? I was... The first thing I did professionally, I was in, like, a so- I was a sophomore in high school. And I got an agent in Charlotte. And it's a small market. So, like, I... Right when I got it, I, like, got this like speeding PSA thing where it was like a short film they show at schools where like it's like teenagers playing music and like speeding and then something awful happens to like get a huge wreck and like they die. Who were you? I was like one of the drivers. I was like the main guy who was like driving, having a great time and then they get in a wreck and like 
he kills two friends in the car. <laughs> and in it, in it, there's another friend who's trying to warn us who has died on his way to the prom. And his ghost is there. And he's like sitting in the car with us, but we don't know. We're just <laughs> idiots. Yeah. That's absurd. Yeah, so I got that. And then I did a NASCAR infomercial where it's like, you know, these like stock characters all around a, like a round table talking about how much they love the magic bullet or like some other product. And I was, I played like a, a son in that. Saying you loved what? NASCAR in car, which was this like NASCAR option where if you're watching NASCAR, you can like get, you can hear like the pit crews talking to the drivers and it's just like another thing you pay for and you can like, it, you know, enhance your experience watching NASCAR. That does sound <laughs> which like I'm fun. sure you like. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be the perfect person for that. I can't get enough NASCAR. Yeah. I loved it. That's why I got it. No, I've never been into NASCAR. That was the, that was probably the hardest acting I've ever done. Uh, and then, and then in high school you did a thing called ensemble. Yeah. You have to audition for that? Mm-hmm. It's like a, they call it a pre-professional, like, theater, like, training group or whatever. So you meet, like, you have to audition, you have to do, like, two two-minute monologues and one, like, it's like a serious one and a comedic one. And then you get in, it's like 15 people, and you meet every Saturday and Sunday for three hours, and then you do two shows a year, and it was like the, it was like a really like tight group of people who all wanted to be like serious actors and it was great when i was in it i loved it. i did it for three years and it was like that was what i did i didn't like hang out with a lot of people at high school i hung out with my friends in ensemble and it just felt like the coolest most important possible thing that i could be doing and felt like really cool in that community. Yeah, yeah. It was very respected. And exclusive. Exclusive, yeah. Everybody, like, we were like, nobody drank, nobody smoked. Well, a couple people smoked. Or really did drugs, and we just, like, hung out. And, like, we would do, like, weird exercises. And we were just, like, we're just kind of theater kids. Uh, and I met you when you were in high school mm -hmm. doing an ensemble play. Like, mm -hmm. I saw you in a play called The Rhymers of Eldridge. Yeah. Is that what it was called? Another girl gets raped in that. Yes, that's, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. And you were, like, a priest. I was, yeah. Chris Varner was actually, I think, a priest. Oh, who are you? I was, like, this old farmer named Peck. Peck. Yeah. No, it's Peck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was it. That was a cool play. I liked doing that, but it was um, towards the tail end of ensemble, and it was getting a little too like clean cut, a little too like corporate. The theater like moved to a huge like location that combined with the public library, and they started doing more like family friendly stuff, and we couldn't be as like edgy, you know. How confident did you feel like just overall as like a high school student? Uh, doing mm -hmm. ensemble and stuff. I felt really confident. I felt like I was like a level above like the people doing theater at school, doing like Little House Shop of Horrors, you know? Can you compare on like a scale of one to ten, how confident did you feel then and how confident do you feel now? <laughs> oh no. Alright, then on a scale from one to ten, I was probably like a nine. 
now, after years of being out here, just trying my hardest, I probably feel like I'm about four and a half. <laughs> uh, I just have, you just you go so long without like, you know, some validation, and you're like, I don't know anymore. I'm in a vacuum. It just—it's a much harder ride to get much up to that harder. nine yes, area. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and still, it's only like Kevin Spacey feels like. He's yeah. A nine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> feeling solid like a nine. Catherine O'Hara is like. <laughs> Feeling like an eight. Yeah, she's <laughs> dropping down. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Catherine. Me too. Me too. She's incredible. She's a ten on my book. Well, that doesn't count. Nobody cares what you think. <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, so, give me a pie chart of the breakdown of like ages, like, like when you were ten to eighteen, what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, what percent was theater, and what was percent was other stuff we haven't talked about yet? All right. 10 to 18, you said? Yeah. I was. It was probably, like, 85% theater. Wow. And then the rest of it, like, it was, like, 10% playing sports. Like, I would play soccer and baseball on the weekends. And you were good. I was good, but once I got older and the competition got better, I, like, dropped out of that. Like, but I, not because you couldn't compete. I think, well, I, I just... I wasn't as good. Like, I, when I was playing with older kids, like, I was dominating the kids of my age. Like, I was just naturally good at, like, t-ball and soccer. I was just could run faster. And, I, like, I wasn't necessarily more skilled. I just was better. Then they, they bumped <laughs> That sounds up. like more yeah, skilled. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they, like, bumped me up to, like, an older group. And... I just, like, didn't like it. I wasn't having fun. They they, they screwed up. That's such a stupid thing to do. I know. This kid is dominating yeah. in the age he should be playing. Yeah. Let's knock Let's him down a level. Yeah, exactly. You could have always been dominating. So that, that shouldn't have really... I understand why that discouraged you, mm-hmm. but it's kind of unfortunate that it did. I still played. Like, I went up. They bumped me up, and I didn't have fun. I didn't know the people. And then I went back, and... I, for some reason, it just wasn't the same as it got older. It just was... I think I got in my head. Uh, there was a time where I was really, like, just a fun-loving kid, and I would just do whatever, and I wasn't worried about it. And then I think I became, like, conscious of, like, things that could go wrong or, like, whatever. I think there was a shift where I just, like, started feeling, uh, being a little more... What could go wrong? Anxious. I just started worrying about, like... Um, like, you know, messing up. Like, when we were performing, I would worry about, like, forgetting lines and, like, how bad that would feel. And once that starts, it's, like, it's it's suffocating, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I... To answer your original question, I was doing a lot of theater, and then, like, sports kind of... Like, I still played them recreationally, but I stopped being as serious into them when I got older, like, into high school. And I was really just focused on performing and, uh, like, this group where we were, like, learning different, like, exercises and just kind of, like, going through puberty (laughs) with each other and, like, talking about, like, you know, what life meant and all those, like, existential questions that high schoolers angst driven high schoolers talk about and so like I was really into that and then I knew that I wanted to do that in college 
And so like you go and you can audition for colleges. And so like I was working on like my audition to get like, like you can get scholarships to go to colleges, but they're all like crap colleges. And you like just, what? Like like um, well, I don't want to give anybody a bad name. Like North Carolina School for the Arts feels like that's that good. A good. Yeah, school. that one was a good one. But this is Did like try? Guilford and UNCG and um, yeah. Every school in Greenville. Did they, and they all had theater programs. Yes, and yeah. You, and you did audition for them. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then afterwards they'd take you into a room and they'd be like, we'd like to offer you $2,500 a semester if you'd like to come here. And you go, okay, thank you. And then you go to another one <laughs> and that was it. Did they say that to you? I got a not? couple, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine I was that good, but I'm sure they were just looking for people. <laughs> so how did you end up choosing UNC Chapel Hill? I think I always knew I wanted to go there. I just didn't know if I was going to get in or not. I remember going up there, talking with Jeff Cornell, the the theater. He's just a theater teacher there. And him being really nice. And, like, I knew my dad wanted me to go there because it was, like, cheap. It was a public school. And did he go there? He didn't go there. Okay. But my mom and all, a lot of my family went there. And um, I was like, this place is, it's, like, reasonably close. It's It's, like, cheap for my dad. And all my friends are going here. Like, I knew a lot of people. So I knew that was a place that I would really like. And I also knew that I wanted to do Chips, the Chapel Hill Improv Group. Because I'd seen that in, as a high schooler, and I just thought it was the Who would you thing. You had seen it with Alex's older brother, Thomas? Yes, yeah. And anybody else? Or he was, like, the main attraction at that he time. He was the main attraction, but I, I remember that's all I knew. And then I would see, like, Joe Pug and C.C. Pierce. And, like, those guys I thought were the funniest coolest people Paul North like I just thought they were the best and I knew I really wanted to do that that was probably a huge reason why I wanted to go there that's really cool but I couldn't say that I couldn't choose my college just because I wanted to do an improv group a guidance counselor is not going to respond well to that <laughs> no no <laughs> you want to do chips yeah that's why you want to go to the school that's that's the, the worst reason so did you audition for chips right away yeah I remember asking you if I should do it or not and what did I say? You said, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should definitely do it. Because I was like, I don't know, like, right, school's just started. I don't know if I want to get into this right now. I want to see if I, like, want to do something else. But I knew I wanted to do it. And you gave me that little nudge to do it. And I couldn't. I mean, it was the best thing I did at college. That's how you feel now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it shaped me as a comedian. How? Because it gave, I mean, you just... We're doing comedy with friends, and almost all of them you thought were really funny. And you just like workshopped like sketches, and you performed a bunch, and it was just like a constant like workshop and like refining of your senses, your sensibilities as a comedian. And you just, I just got to play around with like other comedians, and it was just like a lot of fun. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. I feel yeah. like more than going to UNC, sometimes I went to Chips. Yeah, and yeah, it's true. And it was the best college I could have gone to. Yeah, right. I know, I learned so much. And you go to Chicago, uh -huh. and you see amazing shows, and Upright Citizens Brigade comes to the school, and yeah. you get to see them performing. Yeah. I think Eugene Cordero came to, like, yeah, U did he? UNC. He did. We, like, saw Eugene... Oh, I didn't know. As you, college students, he came to, like, the Dirty South Improv Festival. 
Oh, Along yeah, with a bunch yeah. of other people. I know, you're I, right. It was all of Ruben Williams. It was him and Anthony King and Charlie Todd and Kate Spencer yeah. and Katie Dippold and like people from SNL came down yeah. and like we were getting like Bill Hader. good co- Bill Hader. Yeah. Bill Hader. Yeah. Not for the improv tournament. Not for the not for the I'm festival, Bill but he came for like QAB got him, you know. Oh like good. Sam I probably Warren. I feel like I just didn't care at the time. <laughs> I like seeing Jason Sudeikis and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Bill John, didn't come And John Lutz. Lutz. Yeah, yeah. Is that who you, were you, Maybe you just replaced? Maybe Jason Sudeikis. Uh, they're, they're, they're similar. They are similar. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really tell the difference. Um, that's cool. Yeah. How, how seriously were you taking classes in college? Um, I, I think I started checking out, like, like junior... <laughs> I I think I started checking out junior year. I just didn't care about it. I knew that it wasn't going to help me in my life to have better grades. I didn't want to go to grad school. I didn't want to become like a doctor or anything serious. I knew that I just wanted to get through it and then figure out what I wanted to do after that. But I knew it was going to be comedy related. I wanted to pursue that. I just... I knew I didn't need to have, like, great grades in order to do that. Was there some switch that... Was it because of chips in college that you started feeling, like, more than stage acting, you wanted to do comedy? Yeah, yeah. I knew then I didn't... Like, because I started off as a drama major, and then I quickly, like, lost interest in the drama. Do you remember... Was there, like, a play that you were in or something... A moment where you were like, no, I'm not that into this. Yeah, I think I did, um... Well, we did the visit together. The visit killed it for you. Yeah, it almost killed it. The visit it was, was like on. a German existentialist <laughs> yes. play about who knows oh what. Oh my god, it was ridiculous. And you played a blind man? I played a blind man named yeah. Lobby, Hobby who, has, yeah. who has a friend named Hobby. And you played a, what? I played like man number two and the guy who brings in the typewriter... And then a village person. And it didn't feel like people were having too much fun in the audience. No, it seemed like a weird, like a book. Someone was like, opened up an old book and we were, we were like acting it out and no one cared. And it just wasn't, it was just an old boring play. But then I also remember you did a play uh, written by our friends, Russell Johnson from Chips and this guy, Ira Smith called Blackmail. That was really like an actually funny comedy yes and you were great in that yes that was a lot of fun that one was like written by russell johnson who was in chips a comedy i mean he was just so smart and could really write well for comedy and then we just got to improvise a bunch in it and it was just so much fun to do it was it was a very fresh like improv like heavy we when we were rehearsing it we just played around a bunch with it and then even in the actual shows, we could play around in certain areas. And it was just, yeah, that was that was so much fun. I realized then that I didn't want to do plays. I wanted to do, like, I wanted to do comedy. And whatever form I could do that in, that's really what I was, like, passionate about. And just to speak to you as, like, an improviser for a second, my memory of you was that you were, like, a very special performer that stood out to people. That, like would dominate in shows and just, like, make people especially happen in shows. And I remember, like, 
just hearing a lot of people who would just say like when talking about people in the comedy group chips like Robert's the best like Robert's the best at this thing and Robert's the best at this thing and I would often just feel like what about me <laughs> uh-huh. like I, yeah. I remember having my feelings like sometimes heard that way like having you spoken to as a special person uh, but I thought that was really I think that's really cool well thank you it sounds like kind of you've got a lot of anger about it I'm angry yeah I thought you were one of the funniest people. Thank you. In chips, just so you know. You were in the minority. <laughs> Not everybody felt that way. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think what I did, my strengths were like I played big characters, and I was like, I, I would just go with my gut, and it, I was a goofy performer that like would pretend to be a cat, and like stuff that like I played to my strengths. I wasn't I like if it was if I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Exactly. I would just go to what I thought was really funny and like off the top of my head. I think people yeah. like got that and liked that kind of thing. What, one memory that stands out is like you were, it was some show where you were playing a cat and mm-hmm. you like decided to make it clear that like you and the like the cats were taking over the theater mm-hmm. and you like snuck backstage to like a microphone mm-hmm. and just like started to like broadcast your cat <laughs> yeah. message yes, uh, yeah and it was like a thing that wasn't like a, like nobody had talked about that being a possibility yeah it was just so surprising and yeah. fun yeah you're right i mean that those shows that we did in the old like chemistry hall felt like everybody was on board they were on your team they knew you guys were going with an audience of like 450 people yeah it was an incredible like atmosphere to do comedy because they were totally bought into it and you could do whatever you wanted because they already thought you were funny and that is like what i'm trying to achieve is people to know that i'm a funny person and hopefully not have to work so hard to, like, <laughs> get it, like, get that point across, you know? Because if they're already on your side, then it makes things so much easier. So when did you realize you were going to move to L.A. after college? There was an internship called the Hollywood Media Internship that I heard about. I took a communication studies class, and the teacher of it told me about it, Paul Ferguson. And... Uh, I knew some people who'd done it, like C.C. Pierce and um, whoever else. And <laughs> I knew it was like a cool thing to do to get into the industry. And I think like late in college, I realized that Los Angeles would be the best place to go to pursue comedy. What made you think that? Other well, than you've been out show. here. You came out here. Madeline would come out here. And I was whispering into your ear, you, whisp- you got to come out. Yeah. Mary Sasson was going to go. She came later after me, but um, she was like, I'm going to go there. Um, and I just knew that like a lot of comedians were out here, and there was a great community. And I also knew that I would ideally like to get into TV and film. And like <clears throat> this was just a place where there was a lot of opportunities to like get in, get in on it. And I didn't want to go to New York or Chicago, even though they had improv and comedy, because it just didn't seem like there was enough upside to it. I wanted to, like, play the lotto and, like, have a chance at hitting it big. And um, this internship was just kind of the perfect vehicle for that, because I knew it would, like, be a way for me to get out here and have some sort of, like, groundwork set up. What was the internship? You just, like, 
based on what you're interested in, your track, whether it's like producing or writing, directing, acting, they set you up in internships that are somewhat related to that. What was yours? I worked in a small talent agency called Hervey Grimes in Beverly Hills. Hervey Grimes? Hervey Grimes, yeah. The Marsha Hervey is the one who set it up. I don't know what Grimes is, but um, there's probably another person who has since been you know, bought out or something. But she, her son was the brother in Wonder Years, the older brother in Wonder Years. So she had a very good track record just to start with. She had with. a great track record. And then I think maybe it got a little... It wasn't as great as she brought on more. You mean the least likable character from Wonder Years? (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yeah. He was like a businessman, too. Like, he was, like, wheeling and dealing and stuff. I don't know what he was working on, but, yeah. He was there, like, bread and butter. And uh, I just worked there, like, arranging headshots. And um, afterwards, after that ended, I, like, auditioned for her. I was like, can I audition? Because I'm looking for a representation. She was like... Okay, sure, sure. So I read like a Burger King commercial and then like a like a Big Bang Theory scene or some some crappy thing. And afterwards she was like, "Okay, well we're not going to offer you anything at this time, but we'd like you to keep working on it and, and you know, take classes and come back." And I was just so that was the first time where I was like, "Oh, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought it was going <laughs> to be." I thought I was this creative, fresh like natural performer and it just didn't translate like i i couldn't turn it on like that something was missing from like what they wanted a commercial clean performer that can really sell it and like hit the hit the marks and i just realized i i wasn't as good as that as i thought i would be and so i left there and i was like crap (laughs) i don't have anything else i don't know what else to do and I started taking classes at UCB and I started meeting people and performing at indie shows and just trying to work my way back up. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was going to be easier. <laughs> I really did, which is so naive. And then money was like a big issue for you, right? Yes, yeah. I had savings when I came out here. I quickly went through that. And I remember calling each, like, like two, every two weeks, I would like get out a little money from a brokerage account I had that was like I had since I was a little kid and each week each couple of weeks I would call and I'd be like hey yeah I you know I, I just need to take a little bit more and the woman at the place she was like she knew that I was just going to keep doing it until it was dry and she was really nice about it and I would just each time try and downplay it and go I'm, I'm yep I'm going to one day I'm going to put some more I'm going to put it back in but um <laughs> okay honey yeah but we all knew and I just then I ran out of money and I started doing extra work, which was the worst thing possible. Why was it not fun? Because you just sit around and like you kind of get herded and like like cattle, which is not. I don't care. I didn't need more respect. The problem was there are people there who were like taking it seriously, and that like if you just put your head down and did it and got your sixty four dollars minus tax. It would be okay, but like people would get too into it and wanted to be treated as actors and it just was long hours, bad food, like you had to go really far early in the morning and I just like spent so much time sitting at a picnic table playing Brick Breaker that like I couldn't play it anymore. <laughs> you feel like part of your heart is kind of yeah, I was, uh, er- eroding? Yeah, it was just, it was like kind of soul crushing. 
Uh, but now we can see you in movies like In Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually cannot see me in that. I looked. The artist, you, you can see The you. artist, you can see me. What else now. can we see you in? You can see me in an episode of Glee from like three years ago. You can see me in, yes, The Artist twice, pretty clearly. And then you can see me in an episode of... But you weren't what? significant enough for them to put you in color <laughs> in that movie? No. No. You're right, I wasn't. And there's no audio of me. I was in, um, what is that show of Bill Paxton, the Mormon show? Big Love? All My Wives. Yes. Big Love. Big Love. <laughs> it's not called All My Wives. I think that was the title for it in production. Okay. I was in that. You can see me. So you did extra work for a while. Mm-hmm. Then I, like, tried to, a couple times, like, I fell for things on Craigslist, which were scams. Where they're like, we need uh, somebody to, like, I'm in town, I need, like, a PA for my office for, like, three weeks. And they'd be like, we're going to wire you a check, like, cash it and send it all to Florida. <laughs> to, like, and you fell for that stuff. repeatedly. I didn't fall for that. But once I saw that, like, we'd get along in the process, and then they would be like, and FYI, like, we're going to give you way too much money, you take your cut, and then send it on. We're going to pay you in advance. <laughs> and I was like... Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and you worked at Banana Republic? Worked at Ban... Yeah, you're really bringing up some demons here. <laughs> I needed... I didn't have any money. I needed... I, I couldn't get a good job. I wasn't, like, getting anywhere career-wise. And I just had hit a point where I needed to fill my time. I needed to do something. Because yes. otherwise I was just going to... I was just going to sink into a <laughs> oblivion. So I went to the mall and I, like went around and, and like submitted my resume. I put, like I applied for a job at Tivana and like Gap and Banana Republic and J Crew and all those places. And I got the job at Banana Republic because anybody can get that job if you have khakis. And, uh, I did that for like three months and it was not good. It was like $9. I was working like 14, 15 hours a week, just nothing. And then I like had to like fight to get time off to go home for Christmas, and I just quit because then I found another job at my media. And what's that job like? That job is an office job. It's a post production house in Burbank. They do quality control, which is watching movies over and over again to make sure there are no errors and like imperfections in it. And I could never do that, but I work in the office as like an account. Client services coordinator, kind of. Which is after acting, the thing you're best at. Exactly. I found that that's my strength. Is <laughs> <laughs> like scheduling and like managing workflows of studio studios. Um, and then uh, it feels like over the last like four years, we worked on a bunch of projects together yeah. uh, that have gained like various levels of traction along the way. Yeah. We did a sketch group, uh, Hamilton 100, which we're still doing, and, like, some of those videos actually did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, others of them didn't do well at all. Yes. Uh, but we were generally proud of what we were making. Yes. I think. Um, and we did a show called uh, The State of Us. What What's The State of Us been like for you? The State of Us was... It started off as one of those things where... I knew I needed to do something. I knew I wanted to like put out content and like just keep like doing stuff because that was fun to do. 
And uh, it was like a group of our friends, a lot of people from UNC. And we had like a space in downtown in the fashion district, this like old apartment, which was a warehouse. And we just like <clears throat> set up this like, uh, you know, faux reality show, news show. And uh, did it like we put out once a week. We did like a two and a half minute episode. And it was really fun because we would just do whatever we wanted to do. And there was a lot of possibility for it. It was hard to execute like some of the bigger ideas, but it was just a good way to consistently like meet with people, put up a show, film it, put it out on Facebook and like have something to like be working on and putting out there just because that's like kind of the the hardest thing is just to like keep doing stuff and putting it out there and hopefully something will like stick. The first season was a news satire show. Mm -hmm. The second season was like that with guests. Yes. The third season we tried to like do a weird narrative, narrative kind yeah. of thing. And the fourth season we tried to do the old thing but at a much lower budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, None what, of those really worked out. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your happiest memory of doing all of that and yeah. your least happy memory? My, okay. I just loved, probably any during any of the filmings of the episodes, I just loved like playing around. There was probably a moment in each episode where I just was having a lot of, I was genuinely like laughing, having fun, because we were like improvising and working together. You directed a lot of them, and it was just fun to like work with like that group, and it felt like we were really like kind of like getting better and like like figuring stuff out. and. I really enjoyed the process of actually doing it. I like that too. And it felt like we were just like kind of in it, you know? Just doing something. Just doing something. Really trying yeah. and, and yes. having fun. Yes. I, I really liked filming when we were in that Lifehouse Productions, the place right over the 101, and yeah. we had guests come in. I don't think the episodes were as strong, but they were pretty tight. And it looked really good, and we had guests, and that was when we did, like, Live Prude Girls, and, like, you know, the stuff with, like, Matt Reed and uh, Jeff Wysoski. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and that stuff, I feel like there were some really good moments in there, and I always remember, like, having fun because it felt a little, like, better. Like, it felt, like, a little more legit. And, um, Yeah. And, and least favorite moment? Least favorite moment was probably when we were filming the desert scene. Uh-huh. Like, we, we did... It, we of the narrative Josh, version. Yes, yeah, so the narrative. This is, like, season finale episode, and we were out in Joshua Tree. We did, like, an all-nighter. Charlie broke my cup holder when he was, like... We are doing a chase scene, and we filmed all night, and uh, then, like, had to sleep for a couple hours in the heat of the desert in my car, and then we filmed the rest of it and drove back to Los Angeles. I didn't feel great that day. <laughs> <laughs> I think mainly just because I was tired and like sick and like, <laughs> we just didn't know what was gonna happen with that, that season. But it was still fun. It was just a really draining experience. And with Hamilton 100, uh, we're right in the process of making some new videos. Um, I think that, at least for me with, with that, it's just so funny, like, 
the, the level of effort you put into a video has so little to do with the number of views you end up getting. It all feels so fluky and like hard. I know. I, I, that is one of the big lessons I've learned. It doesn't matter how you can spend so much time on it. It doesn't, that's not going to lead to more people watching it. I feel like you just need to, um, well, I was actually talking to Ryan Rosenberg about this. You, you just need to like get something out there and keep putting stuff out there and like make it simple and clear and like it, something will hopefully catch on, but it's just consistency you can't labor over it. Yes. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. And like, I think something we can get better at consistency. Yes. We don't need to <laughs> nothing. It doesn't have to be a mini movie every time we do a sketch. No. Yeah, but very, I do have I do have seven that. ideas for mini movies. <laughs> right. I'd like I, to come would, up with them. I would like to do them because <laughs> <laughs> I need more real footage that I will send to no one. <laughs> <laughs> What's your realistic guess for where you're going to be uh, in December of next year? Um, like it's I, December 2014 right now. Where where? What do you think is going to have happened by December 2015? I think I'll have done one commercial. Awesome. And I like that as a goal. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll have done one. I think I've... You a, recently a signed with the Rain Agency. I did, yes. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. I've gone out on some commercial auditions, some better than others. And uh, I think just the odds are in my favor. I'll get probably get have a commercial. And then I think what I'm hoping for is I can slowly start getting some, like, like small roles on, like, shows. <laughs> Maybe it's it shows that like I know people on, and like I can get get on and slowly start building this like, building some credits, and uh, I think in a year that's probably the, a good thing for me to hope for. My other main thing is I'd like to get, I'd like to be performing more either at UCB or around town where like I can be a little more visible because otherwise it's just hard to get any kind of like uh, traction. And you're also hoping that your schedule becomes a little bit more flexible, right? Yes. Because with the, yeah. the job that you've had, it's, it's been tough to find time. It's awful. Yeah. It's when you have a nine to five job, you like... Most people, there's not a lot that I, like, would be doing right now if I didn't have it. I think I could fill it, fill the time, but it's just so difficult to pack whatever you want to do in in, like, the time after work or on the weekends because there's just not enough time to do it. And I just have to turn down stuff because I can't. I can't not go to work more than, like, three times a year, <laughs> which sucks. And what about five years from now? If you're being really hopeful, okay. what do you hope 20, 2019 is like for you? I hope I'm successful working comedian. I, I hope that I have, like, I have my pick of, like, projects that I could work on. I think, ideally, I, like, I don't think I'll be on, like, a, a, a show that's, like, being renewed each season, but I think that I would love to be someone that just people know of and ask to do like projects. Like there are a lot of comedians around town that are like kind of at that level where they're, they don't, they're not going to have their own movie, but like a lot of people know who they are, think they're funny and they get like 
get to do an episode of, you know, Silicon Valley and like a bit part in a movie, like, I don't know. Eugene Cordero is a great example because he's someone I think is so, so funny and like to see him get to do stuff like that. It's always really cool to see where he pops up just because like he, I think is one of the funniest people I've seen and I can see him like going, moving up and getting, getting more like visible and like more known. And I would like to be making those steps to do that. And I think that like realistically, you're just going to have to do a lot of different things. Yeah. A lot of different jobs and whatever projects. Um, I think of, I think I mentioned to you that I think of Bill Hader sometimes when I think of you because he had done like an office job, a very thankless office job in LA for like five years that took up too much of his time and then did a show that Megan Malawi just happened to be at. Uh, and that's how he got to audition for Saturday Night Live. Uh, and then got it. Um, speaking audaciously for a second, uh, I think you're in the same kind of place where, uh, if somebody just gets to see how rawly funny you can be, I feel like that could happen for you. Speaking audaciously for a second, do you feel like Saturday Night Live is something that you'd want to do if it happened? Of course. Yeah. It's like a How job. could you possibly, yeah. I mean, I think I'm not as good at celebrity impressions, which I think is something that they look for. Can we for. hear some? What? Let's hear I don't, uh, I don't your mean, Barack Obama. Okay. Now, uh, I, 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 uh, you know, uh, Michelle. Uh, okay, that's good. Okay. Uh, let's hear Boehner. Um, well, I think it's a bicameral. It's bicameral legislation that we we've none of these. All right, that was good. Policies. Let's hear Mitch McConnell. Now, uh, I think that uh, well, the president, he's uh. That's great. Uh, what is Christopher Walken? You know, it's not two mice fell into a bucket of cream. Great, uh, Kevin Spacey. I declare. What they don't understand is that I'm not a little pawn in their system. I'm the puppeteer. (laughs) (laughs) Really good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're not as good at celebrity impressions. Not my strength. I can do. I can do like a clip, and and then I would be worried if I had to do the opener of of SNL, a long, you know, the first sketch where. Oh, I'd love to see you. I would, uh, I would, I would love, have to play my dream, Goofy. My dream is to see how nervous you would be before <laughs> your first episode, if that ever happened Oh, for my you. God. I will be so nervous. Seeing how nervous you've been before shows <laughs> at UCB. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, looking like you like, might want to throw up. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see you about to oh, have I the chance know. to ruin your whole career or make <laughs> it. <laughs> it might be so much that I'm not... That I like, you can't. There's a certain level where you just can't get more nervous than that. You just would pass out. <laughs> you know? He passed out. He passed out. He couldn't do it. <laughs> well, he's passed out, so I don't this know. This gaffer did it instead yeah. of him. Yeah. And, and he killed. He killed. He's on the show now. He killed. Bobby Moynihan. <laughs> Robert hit his head. Yeah. And he's in the infirmary. The times when I've been so nervous, I didn't know what I could do. I still like the adrenaline gets through you and you're just like you just you just go through it like I haven't yet knock on wood had the time where I was just like just didn't know I forgot my lines I was so panicked that I just I just was shell-shocked I 
couldn't do anything. Like I've always managed to get through it, but the fear is still there that I won't. And that's what's like, that's what's debilitating. And who's, who has sort of your hero career? Will Ferrell. He's, he's, yeah. I mean, there's so many people, but he's just the funniest person to me. And I just love like how he worked his way up and like his story of getting on SNL, like he just seems like such a nice guy and anything he says makes me laugh. And so he's done a bunch of crap stuff, but I always think he's funny. And then he's done some really cool like projects and movies that like he can just, he can like order it because he's such a big name and he can carry it. Like the movie where it was all in Spanish. Yeah, that's talking, amazing. Yeah, it's just like I would love to do stuff like that, even though I know that that's probably not going to be well received by <laughs> like anybody. If you wanted to give yourself three personal goals uh, for the next like little stretch of your life, what would they be? Um, like challenges. Yeah, uh, probably say yes more, do more. Like I think a lot of things. I, I'm a little more timid. Once you're out of like doing a lot of things a lot of the time like it's harder to get back in it and like like do a show or like say yes to some other project i'd like to fight that urge to like be a little safer and i'd like to like go out and do take up more of these things that i maybe normally wouldn't be comfortable doing and um yeah i don't know i'd like to that's tough. I don't know. I mean, I, no, those are good answers. Yeah. I think the main thing is, is like fighting that fear to like put yourself out there and be a little more like, um, less risk averse and more like open to new opportunities. But you feel like, uh, through all this time you've sort of maintained belief in yourself yeah. And what you're yeah. capable of? Yes. I think it's been a little wavered because it, it's it been tested because I wasn't as good, like, with the technical, like, skill of being a commercial actor or, a, like, a, a acting on camera. It's a different beast. I've, like, been very, like, hot and cold whether or not I know what I'm doing, what I should do. I, I just don't have a good feel for it as much as I know, like, what is funny in conversation. I know when I'm like doing like a funny bit around friends because it just feels right. But for some reason you can do that same thing on camera and it just doesn't work. And you have to like be a little more like loud or uh, slapsticky in order for it to come across or completely opposite of that. I can't get a good read on it. So I feel a little more out of my element when I'm doing like something, a project like that because I just don't know exactly how to do it for it to come across the way that I want it. But overall, overall, yes. Overall, I still feel like I'm someone who is a funny person that has like an interesting sense of humor and something like someone that could be successful in the industry. I just have to get a little better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like it's going to happen. You say that to everybody. I, you know, I'll say actually in this. You literally say that to everyone on this. I only have people on who I think it's going to happen for. Okay. All right. I'll buy it.
But I am gonna say this is the first time that I've been bluffing, <laughs> and I don't actually think it's gonna happen for you. No, no, no. You're, you've been the one um, constant person who has blown smoke at my ass. <laughs> You're great about unconditional support and <laughs> compliments. Um, you know, what I'll say is, uh, I feel like... <laughs> You're right. Uh, on the show, I say to people a lot that I believe in uh, them and think like cool things are going to happen for them. But uh, you read that book, The Art of Fielding, right? Yeah. Um, yes. I feel with you very specifically, uh, like I would, with more than the usual person, I'd want to be looking for areas that I can help you if I ever can. Cause like, I feel a lot like you're like that character, Henry Scrimshander in that, in that book, there's like a, this guy, what's his name? The, the catcher. Here's the catcher. Brian, um, it's like Schlansky or something. Yeah. I don't know. I forgot his name. Mike, Mike something. Yeah. There's a catcher who is at a game and he sees this, uh, person Henry and Henry is like uh like doing infield practice and mm-hmm. he's just like killing it he's amazing yeah uh, and he's but he's like undiscovered and he like just takes an interest in him and like more than like uh he believes in himself he believes in this guy and truly more than anybody in the world that's how I think of you like I think of you as like that special person I've seen uh who I really believe in so thank you. I could, you know. That's very. Uh, that's really nice. And I and. Uh, so I hope you know I f- feel that way, and I'm just I'm betting on you, and I know <laughs> that, uh, you know, in that book, what ends up happening is that character who he believes in does go through like a long slump. A real long <laughs> slump. <laughs> he kind of goes awol. And does what happens? He grows out his end? beard like me. He does. Yeah. Uh, it gets really dirty. But first of all, I recommend anybody listening, I recommend The Art of Fielding as a mm-hmm. book to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I do thank think you again. you're that very special infielder. Thank you. I think that guy, it's, you're right. His problem was he gets in his head, like once, like the, he goes to college and he plays with that guy and then he gets in his head and he starts losing his like natural like just ease and like ability because he's just overthinking it and uh and then like finally well, we we don't need to spoil it but like he finally like gets back to his like just natural like confidence and like his his own like game and he kind of shakes that like weird slump that he's in <laughs> that everybody has that everybody has you just have to like once you once it happens then you start thinking about it that's all you're thinking about and then you just need something to knock you out of it <laughs> and for him it's a baseball to the head <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Kermit getting punched by Miss Piggy <laughs> yeah exactly which is what happened to you which helped, helped you get out of your slump yeah Miss Piggy punched me across the room <laughs> yeah <laughs> I got my memory back yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on. Yes, my this pleasure. This stupid show. <laughs> and, my pleasure. Uh, 
I love you, and I'm excited for you to be one of my groomsmen. Yes, I'm so excited. In May. I was so giddy. <laughs> I think it's going to be a fun day. Yeah. Love you too. favorite song I wrote in a cluttered room with a ceiling low. So if I stand too straight or I stand too tall, I bump my fun to listen to. If you want to see Robert perform live, you can see him performing with his new sketch team every month at the UCB Theater. Uh, since the team was just made, we don't know exactly when they'll be performing, but keep checking the UCB schedule and it'll be up there soon. Again, if you like the show, it would be awesome if you'd consider subscribing or giving us a review on iTunes. And if you ever have any questions or comments about the show, you can write to me at onthecusppod at gmail.com. Special thanks to Casey Trela and Hi-Ho Silvero for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor, Joe Burge, and to my producer, Cece Pierce. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music. <laughs>